Amen. What a great truth. Well, aren't you thankful for that? That He reached down for you and the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save. He can save anyone and He can reach you wherever you are. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter number 9. The Gospel of John chapter number 9. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach tonight. And uh, looking forward to sharing the burden that the Lord's laid on my heart for this evening. John chapter 9. When you're there, if you would, stand together with me. We're going to stand for the reading of the Word of God. And just going to look at just a few verses here. I'm really going to mainly focus on one verse in particular, but I want to give a little bit of context. John chapter number 9, looking at verse number 1, it says, "And And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And this is the verse I really want to focus on here is verse number four. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I just want to read that one more time. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in this passage, we see that the Apostle John, he records an encounter that Jesus has with a man who was born blind from his birth. As Jesus passes by this man, the disciples inquire the Lord and ask him why this man was born blind the way that he was. Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Surely in their minds they thought somebody had disobeyed God somewhere along the lines. And this was clearly the result of disobedience. This was clearly the the result of transgressing God's law. And Jesus' answer to them really took them by surprise. They didn't expect to hear what he said. And he said in verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And I'm not going to preach on uh, this man in particular tonight, but I'll tell you, every time I read this, I'm moved. Because I think about the fact that but I think about all that this man went through and all that he experienced and all of the suffering that he endured. I mean, you think about this. This man was born blind from his birth. He never saw his mom. He never saw his dad. He probably had to walk around and, and had difficulty getting around. They didn't have Braille, I'm sure, uh, back then where it was as easy for him to be able to read and know what was uh, being written down. It would have been very difficult to traverse from place to place. He never experienced the beauty of God's creation, never witnessed a sunrise or a sunset. He had been uh, forced really to endure great difficulties in his life. I'm sure he had been ridiculed. I mean, here he heard, I'm sure, the speculations of the disciples as they walked by and wondered who had sinned. And I'm sure he heard others who had asked the same thing. He was an outcast. There was no doubt that this man endured much, but why did he endure all of this? Why did he have to suffer all of these things. And, and the Bible tells us is that uh, in verse number three, he says that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Why did he have to endure? Why did he have to suffer? Because somewhere in eternity back, past, God in his infinite knowledge and his infinite wisdom knew that one day Jesus would be passing by and having a blind man there that Jesus could heal would be a means for Christ to manifest his work and it would bring glory to God. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. That means that God can use my sufferings. God can use the difficulties in my life. 
God can use the, the struggles and the things that I'm enduring. And if that's what God wants to do in order to bring glory to himself, I should embrace that. I should welcome that in my life. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's drawing the attention of his disciple to God's sovereignty over his creation, to God's exclusive right to make them serviceable for his glory in any way that he deems fit, even if that means suffering. And God can use our suffering to be glorified. And then we see as Jesus here, he begins to heal this man's blindness. He makes a statement in verse number four where he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus reminds the disciples of the work that he was placed on earth to do. And he begins to model for them and for us, really, the commitment and the urgency that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, should have in continuing his work here on earth. You see, Jesus was obedient to his Father. You know, as you study the scriptures, as you study the life of Christ, you'll find that Christ willingly and joyfully accomplished the work that God had placed him on earth to do. And I believe that Christ expects his followers to carry on his work with the same commitment and the same urgency that he demonstrated, us, demonstrated for us while he was here on earth. You think about what Christ came to do. I think Luke 19.10 sums it up pretty well. It says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so as we consider that verse in its context and considering what Christ came to do, we arrive at a, at a pretty logical conclusion, and that is this, that the Christian who is not actively pursuing and winning souls is not accomplishing and is not obediently carrying out the work that Christ has called them to do. You see, this one verse, Jesus reveals the response that Christians should have to the work that he's called us to do. And I want to notice tonight, just looking at this one verse, three components of our work. Three components of this work that Christ has called us to continue, that Christ has called us to do. And I want you to notice, first of all, we see the directive. We see the directive. Look at what he says here in verse number four. The first part, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. Consider a few things about this directive that was given here. We see letter A I wrote down. It was imperative. It was imperative. He says, I must. You see, Christ didn't view his work as optional. It was a necessity. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. You know, we look here even at the timing of this work and, the, and this healing of this blind man. It reveals the priority of his work that Christ, uh, the priority that this work held in Christ's estimation. Just to give you a little bit more context here, if you look back at the end of chapter number eight, you'll see here uh, that this is taking place on the Sabbath day, that Jesus is there in the temple. The Sabbath day was a very special day. It was the day in which rest was to be observed. And on the Sabbath day, only the work that was absolutely necessary was to be done. And so the fact that Christ is insistent on continuing his ministry work demonstrates the fact that Christ viewed it as a necessity. It was something that was essential. It was something that had to be done. Even on the Sabbath day, a day where you were only supposed to do the most necessary things, Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me. It was imperative. It was necessary. 
But notice we see not only with this directive, the imperative, but we see the giver of the work. He says, I must work the work of him that sent me. Him that sent me. See, Christ was here on a mission, and that mission was to carry out the work of redemption that was given to him by his father. You see, when the father sent his son into the world, he didn't do it so he would come and just sit idle and take a back seat and watch everything that was taking place. Christ came to do business. Christ came to do a work. He had a work to accomplish, and he saw to it that he finished the work because it was a work that was given to him by his father. It was very important. I think about that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 4 where Christ says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's why Jesus could cry, on the, cry out on the cross, it is finished. Why? Because he had finished the work of redemption that his father had given him to do. The sacrifice had been made. The price had been paid. The atonement was complete. And so he could say, it is finished. And can I say this? God has a work for you. God has a work for you to do. You know, as you read throughout the Bible, it's evident that God has a plan for his people. God has a work for his servants, for those uh, that are his followers. And, and, and we see it very clearly in Scripture where he lays out the specifics of what he wants individuals to do. And I think about the Apostle Paul as an example. You know, I think about in the New Testament, we meet the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He's there on the road to Damascus and he has an encounter with God. And God places a very clear calling on his life. And like Christ, Paul saw this calling as a necessity. You think about what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For of necessity, necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He recognized the call to preach the gospel. That was a necessity. That was an imperative upon his life. Christ had placed that call. It wasn't optional in his mind. It wasn't an optional choice that he had. Well, I can continue doing what I want to do or I can preach the gospel. No, he said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. It was an imperative. It was a work that he was committed to seeing accomplished. Why? Because it was a calling that God had placed on his life. I think about in Acts chapter 20 as he's preparing to return to Jerusalem and he knows uh, that there are going to be attacks. He knows that there's going to be persecution. He knows uh, there's going to be trials uh, that will come and affliction that he'll suffer. In Acts 20 and verse 24 he writes, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what he's saying? I must work the works of him that sent me. Paul was determined to finish his course. Paul knew there'd be afflictions. He knew there would be difficulties. He knew there would be trials. But you know what he said? He said, none of these things move me. You know, we're so soft today. We have such weak constitutions. We want to make fun of the millennials and liberals and call them snowflakes and all that stuff, but we're just as guilty when it comes to Christians in the church. It's amazing how little it takes to keep people from following the Lord. It's amazing how small of an issue that needs to come up in order to keep somebody from serving the Lord. You know, somebody looked at me wrong. Somebody said something to me and I got offended. You know, the pastor, he didn't recognize something I did. And I, you know, I'm not as appreciated as I feel like I should be appreciated around here. Someone slammed the door in my face when I was outdoor knocking. 
Our kids, you know, they got a sniffle and, and they look kind of tired and they must be getting sick. So we all need to stay home and we need to miss a couple weeks of church just to make sure uh, that they get better. We don't want the whole family to get sick. You know, my great nephew twice removed on my ex-uncle's side, they're having their five and a half birthday party and I can't miss that. I've been working all week. I, there's no way I can possibly carve out two hours of my weekend to make the only scheduled evangelistic opportunity that we have at our church. There's no way. I got, look, I got to have time with my family. It's amazing how little it takes to keep us from following the Lord. You know, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. See, the problem is we look for the easy way to serve God. We look for the ways to serve God that are convenient for us. Can I tell you this? If you're looking for an easy way to serve God, quit looking. There's not an easy way. There's not a convenient way uh, to serve God. You're not going to find it. But you know, there is a way that you can serve God and you can have God's power and he'll enable you to do it. See, Paul was convinced that there was a work that the Lord had given him to accomplish. Though he wasn't saved until later in his life, he was committed to accomplishing it. You know what? He didn't let a few trials get in the way. He didn't let a little suffering stop him. He didn't let a thorn in the flesh keep him down. Why? He was committed. And that's why he could write when he got to the end of his life. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Why? Because he finished the work that God had placed him on earth to do. You know, I think about the work that God has for us. I think about the primary work that Christ has placed us here to do, and that is to reach the lost. That is to win souls. You know, God expects Christians to win souls. God expects Christians to win souls. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. See, the vehicle through which God has chosen to accomplish his work here on earth after his, after his ascension, it's the church. It's believers. It's followers of Christ. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know, I think about something Dr. Jim said last week that uh, stood out to me. And, where he was, and I don't know if you remember, he said, uh, you know, if I were God, knowing the propensity that humans have to fumble the ball, I'd have come up with a plan B when it came to reaching the lost. But God didn't. And the reality is, is that you and I are God's plan for reaching the lost. You and I are God's plan for taking the gospel into all the world. You and I are the ambassadors that are responsible for reaching Covington and Conyers with the gospel. That's our work. That's our job. Let me personalize it a little bit more. The one responsible for reaching your neighbor with the gospel is you. The one for responsible for reaching your coworker with the gospel is you. The one responsible for reaching your family members with the gospel, that's you. That's the work that God has placed you here for. That's the work that he has for you to do. It's your job to reach the loss that the Lord has placed around you. And if you're not actively seeking to do that, can I tell you what? You're not doing the work that God's called you to do. You're not accomplishing it. I think about what Curtis Hudson said. He said, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. 
See, God has a work for each of us. He has a purpose for you. He has a work that you're to accomplish. Listen, ask the Lord to give you a vision of the work that he has for you to do. Ask God to help you finish that work that he's placed you on earth to do. You know, sadly, many drop out of the race. Many never finish the work that God has for you to do. Can I encourage you? Don't quit. Keep at it. Keep knocking doors. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep giving out gospel tracts. Keep witnessing to that loved one. We shouldn't quit. Listen, aren't you glad Christ didn't quit his work? Aren't you glad he didn't quit before redemption was complete? Hey, listen, I'm sure glad he, hadn't, he still hadn't quit. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, continue, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's still working in us. See, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be conscious of the work that you've placed me on earth to do and to be sure that it's done. Ask the Lord to help, help you to keep before you the necessity of completing that assignment that he's given. We see here the directive, but notice secondly here, we see the duration. The duration. Look what he says in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me, here you go, while it is day. While it is day. There, there's a time frame in which this work is to be accomplished. There's a time frame that we have to get the work done. And what is Jesus stressing to his disciples? He's trying to get them to see the short window of opportunity that was before them in which they were to accomplish the work. He says, you're, you, now is the opportunity to work. You got to do it while it's day. This is the time. Today is the day. You know, we need to be thinking about the fact that this is the day that God has given us to accomplish his work. Today. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week, it's today. God has called us to accomplish the work. This is your opportunity to accomplish the work that you were placed here for. You know, I hear a lot of people uh, talking about the fact that we're living in the last days. And you'll hear people talk about how hard the last days are. It's harder to get people saved in the last days. It's harder to plant churches in the last days. Churches, uh, it's soul winning, it doesn't quite work as much anymore now that we're in the last days. You know, uh, it's too hard to see people saved. Hey, can I remind you? We've been living in the last days for 2,000 years now. And you remember how the last days started? It started with a citywide revival, with God's power coming down, with 3,000 people getting saved and baptized and added to the church and God moving in a mighty way. Listen, that's the last days and that's how it should be today. Listen, God can still bring revival today. God can still save multitudes today. God can still grow the, I don't know if y'all are listening. God can still grow the church today. Listen, God is the same as he was back then. God can do anything he's always done. And God is able to do that today. God's not changed. His power is not diminished. He's still able to save sinners. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. He's able to work just as mightily today as he did back then. The only thing he's lacking are laborers. He's lacking laborers. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, the prayer of Jesus, he said, Then saith unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are for you. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Say, where are all the laborers at? They're right here. In this room. We're the laborers. We're the God's commissioned his church to be the laborers of the harvest. He's empowered us. He's equipped us with everything that we need. We just need to be obedient and go. 
We just need to enter into the harvest. You know, I think about the work that God has us to do. And I, I thought about the, in the Old Testament when, when God had given David all the instructions that he needed to build the temple. And David had gone and he had acquired everything that he needed to do. To do it. He got all the materials together and he knew uh, God had told him, you're not going to be the one to finish it. And so he calls for his son Solomon. And he lays out all that he had been commanded, all that was commanded to be done. And then he charges his son with two words. He says, do it. Do it. Here's everything you need. Here's all the work that needs to be done. Now do it. You know, I, I can't help but think that God is saying to the church, do it. I've empowered you. I've equipped you. You have everything you need to be done. The harvest is white. It's ready to, be, it's ready to go. Now go do it. And yet we sit here and we, there's, there's just no concern, there's no urgency, there's no desire uh, to go. We need to be doing the work now. This is our opportunity. This is the time to accomplish that God, the work that God has called us to do. You think, how deeply, are you, how deeply involved are you in the work of God? You say, well, I go to church. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. You're supposed to go to church. But, you know, Christianity... And the work that God's called us to do goes a whole lot deeper than just going to church. Hey. Now think about a recent survey found that only 52% of born-again Christians say they've shared the gospel at least once this past year with someone who has different beliefs and hope that they might accept Jesus Christ. Only 52%. Of those surveyed, 98% of Christians said they don't witness to non-believers weekly. Of those surveyed, 95% of Christians have never led another person to the Lord. How deeply involved are you in God's work? Amen. Are you part of the 5% of the average church that goes out and does the work of reaching the lost? Or are you part of that 95% that does nothing? Listen, our duration is short. This is the time that we have today. We need to be going today. How involved are you in the work of God? How involved are you in praying for your pastor? How involved are you in seeing the gospel advanced around the world? How involved are you in giving? How involved are you in loving people? How involved are you in making disciples? That's the work that God has called us to do. And this is the time that we have to do. We've got to work while it is day. You say, well, I'm busy. I got a lot of other stuff going on. I don't have as much time uh, as you have. You're here all the time. You know, I heard a quote a long time ago and it really resonated with me. And that was that there are only two eternal things on this earth. The word of God and the souls of men. How much are you investing in those two things? You say, I've got a lot going on. Listen, you can spend your entire life working and saving and spending and having fun and doing what you want to do and chasing trivial pursuits. But you know, at the end of your life, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to watch it all burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. None of it's going to last. We need to be doing the work that Christ has called us to do. It's time to get busy. It's time to work. What are we waiting for? Don't wait until you're ready. God's ready now. God's ready today. We've got to get busy today. We've got to work the works of him that sent us while it is day. We've got to be diligent. You know, over and over again, we see Christ compelling believers to do the work. Matthew chapter 28, 28 verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He said, go. 
Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 14, 23, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Listen, we need to be urgent about this matter. We need to be diligent. We need to be working. Why? Because we got to work while it is day. We've got to be urgent about, us and he, about this. And he tells us the reason for the urgency is thirdly, there's a deadline. There's a deadline. We see the directive. We see the duration, but we see the deadline. What's the deadline? He says in that last part of verse number four, the night cometh when no man can work. See, Jesus makes it clear that there's a deadline for accomplishing this work. And that deadline ought to prompt us to be urgent about the work. He reminds us of the brevity of our time when he says, the night cometh. The night cometh. Our life is short. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 reminds us that we're to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. James chapter 4 verse 14, he reminds us, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth a little time and vanisheth away. See, none of us know when we're going to draw our last breath. We don't know uh, with certainty when our day will end, only that our days will end. That means we've got to work today. Now is the time. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. There's coming a day when our opportunity to work is going to expire, and that time is drawing closer and closer with every breath that we take. See how many days go by where we don't reach somebody with the gospel? How many days go by where we fail to pass out a gospel track? How many days go by where we come in contact with the same people over and over again and fail to share Christ with them? Listen, we've got to work while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You're probably familiar with William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and it said he turned the sidewalks of the world into mourner's benches. That They saw hundreds of thousands of people saved during his ministry as he went out into the streets and he shared Christ uh, with people. And the stories told about a conference that they were having here in America, and, and Booth was unable to attend, and so the leaders of that conference uh, asked him to send them the theme slogan for that conference. And a telegraph came from across the ocean and they received it and it contained the theme for the meeting and it was just one word. And that was others. See, William Booth, he saw the needs of others. Like Jesus, he was concerned with those that were lost, those around him. He saw beyond their physical needs and he saw their spiritual needs. He saw the needs of the others that were around us. We can't just focus on ourselves. We've got to focus on the world that is around us. There's lost people everywhere we go. See, how many days pass where we fail to consider others? Thinking about others, I wonder how involved are you in discipling others? How much are you involved in mentoring others? How much do you care about other people? How much of your time do you give to other people? You know, a lot of times we're self-focused. We just care about us and our needs and what we've got going on. But we need to be reminded that Our days are short. The night cometh when no man can work. Not only should we be reminded of the brevity of our life, but we should be reminded of the brevity of the lives of others. I read a devastating story about an apartment fire in Chicago. And 
One of the apartment residents noticed smoke coming from one of the buildings. And so he drove over to that complex that was on fire and he heard a mother screaming, my babies, my babies. Her two children were trapped inside of that apartment. And that man rushed into the three-story apartment and reached the, 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 the room, the place where they were staying, where the children were trapped. And he got down on all fours and he began crawling around that apartment that was on fire. When he reached the kitchen, he saw that it was engulfed completely in flames. And so he took a small fire extinguisher that he had grabbed with him to take up there. And he began to spray the fire so that he could get a little bit further into the room. And he began feeling around for anything and that, that he could. And he began screaming out, are you in here? Are you in here? Well, the smoke was so intense, he could no longer breathe. And he was forced to retreat from that building. And the man said later, I did hear the faint sound of a child. It was heart-wrenching as he began to break down. He said, I know now that it was probably the sound of them choking. I just couldn't make it over there. I tried my hardest. I really did. And the man told reporters that he had one constant chilling thought as he was in that building, and that was this. He said, all I could think about were my twin daughters at home. All I could think about was, what if it was them? You know, it's going to be a sad day at the great white throne judgment when those we knew will be cast into a lake of fire that we never saw saved. And I pray that there's not anybody there crying out to be saved that we didn't do all that we could to save them from those flames. That we, didn't all, we didn't do all that we could to, to reach them with the gospel. You know, we could all share stories of those that we know who have passed away suddenly that we didn't know it was going to be our last day to talk to that person. We didn't know that that phone call was going to be the last phone call that we had. We didn't know that that was going to be the last time uh, that we saw them at the regular place that we met up. We didn't know our last, when our last opportunity to share the gospel would be. Listen, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another opportunity. We need to recognize the brevity of the life of those that were all around us. We're not promised another opportunity to share the gospel with that family member. We're not promised another day at work to try to reach our coworker. We're not promised any of those things. We must do the work today. Why? Because the night is coming. Not only do I think about the brevity of our life and the life of others, but I'm also reminded of the fact that the Lord's return is imminent. The Lord's coming back. He's going to return. And the Bible says... That he says in First Thessalonians chapter 5 that we know that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Listen, we don't know when the Lord's coming. He could come any day. He could come today. He could come at any moment. But we must work while it is day. We must share the gospel with those that we have the chance to do so today. Why? Because there's no promise of tomorrow. The night is coming when no man can work. I think about a quote someone said, we'll have all of eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. This is the time that we have today. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day. See, Christ has given us a work to do. He's given us a work to do today. The world we live in is messed up. They're, they're broken people. They're wrecked families. There's perversion, confusion, delusion, all of it. It abounds. There's wrecked families. But listen, Christ is the answer. And he's equipped us and empowered us to share the gospel with the world around us. It's a hard job. 
It's a big job. It's a messy job. But we've got to do the work. God has called us to be the laborers. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before Christ one day and hear him say, you didn't finish the work. You didn't do the work that I called you to do. I want to stand before the Lord, and when I get to heaven, I want, him to, I want to hear him say, well done. You finished the work. You finished the course. Can I tell you, it's going to happen one day. One way or the other. The night is coming. It's time that we as followers of Christ, as his church, as believers, get serious about winning souls and doing the work that Christ has called us to do while we still can. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day the night cometh when no man can work. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.